the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Monday, a brand new week on the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And every weekday at 4, Lord willing, we're here to take your phone calls and answer your questions about the Bible, questions about something you might be going through, um, really questions about who you are in Christ. We'll do the best that we can to answer them. Our phone number for your live calls. I'm sorry, your phone number for your live calls is 340-9585. That's 340-9585. Or you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button hands-free, and you'll be connected directly to the studio. Pray you had a great weekend. We did, and I'll talk a little bit about our retreat, and thank you for your prayers in a moment. But because it's Monday, let me get this out of the way. Tonight is our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies at 7 o'clock. Jocelyn Makasadi will be teaching the ladies tonight. Um, Pastor Rich Ortiz will be filling in for Pastor Ken tonight with the men. And, of course, our youth pastor, Pastor Nelly, teaches the high school age youth. Child care, of course, is provided, and we would love to have you visit. Um, retreat. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your prayers. I know you were praying. Uh, the only bad thing about our retreat this year was that we had planned, as we do every year on the Friday show from out there, to go live and have a program. And if you tuned in on Friday, you know it was a repeat broadcast. Uh, We went to a new facility for the first time this year. They thought they had everything that we needed, and we got right up to the edge, and it just wasn't going to work. So... Uh, said we had a Q&A session with the, the audience that was gathered there, but we really wanted to, to um, be live on the air on Friday, so I apologize. There was just nothing at all that we could do about it with the technical issues from out there. The campsite, the retreat center was great. Uh, we had over 200 men there. A whole bunch of people got saved. It really, really was a great time, and I know in large part uh, because so many of you were praying as we asked you to do so. Thank you very, very much for that. Uh, we've got a lot of questions that have been sent in, uh, but we, we also uh, would love your live phone calls today. So let me get right to some of the questions. Uh, the first one is one that I wish I'd have gotten to uh, on Thursday with Paula, but I didn't. Uh, it's from Charles, and uh, he says, Hi, Pastor Ron. I was listening to the show a couple of days ago, and you spoke about Paula asking if they are Christian and then asking point blank when they were saved. This has been on my mind ever since. If she asked me, I wouldn't have an answer. About a year and a half ago, I asked you for a recommendation for a Bible to read. Since then, I've read the 1984 NIV all the way through. Bless your heart for that, Charles. Um, I've listened to the verse-by-verse of Revelations, Ephesians, and now up to date on your recent teaching in Romans. I know that Jesus is the Son of God and God. I know he died for our sins. I know I'm a sinner and have repented. 
and I'm constantly asking Jesus for forgiveness. And I pray uh, and talk to him every morning when I wake up, every night when I go to bed, and in between. I also know that I'm a better person. My heart has been changed, but I've not had that I'm saved experience. Up until now, I thought I was good with God, but now I'm not sure. Charles, that's the enemy just trying to lie. You see, you've got all of the marks of what a believer is. First, you believe, and Paul said... Um, and Jesus said that we have to believe. Now, it's not just believe intellectually. You know that. But it's a belief that gets you, uh, gets to your heart, gets to your soul. It changes who you are. I say this often on the program, but meeting Jesus, if you really meet Jesus, you change, and all of those things are there. Now, it's also true, Charles, that people who live a really, really bad life like I did before I got saved, I can remember the exact moment I got saved. In fact, I mentioned it in a Bible study uh, recently, and I, uh, also in one of the, the sessions that I did at our men's retreat. Uh, I can remember the very moment. I can remember what I was going. It was just like it's yesterday. I can do it like a replay. But you see, I was running. I was so desperate that, that it, it was one of those pivotal moments in my life. But that's not true for everybody. Um, one of my pastors, he's no longer with the church, he moved, but uh, one of my pastors once said in giving his, sharing his testimony, he said, you know, well, I guess pretty much I've always loved God and I've always known I was saved and, and I, I've always followed him. And he said his first remembrance is uh, of being aware of, of God and, and, and being saved by Jesus was when he was uh, like uh, a kindergartner. And so he didn't have this testimony that, that would put you on the edge of your seat and praise the Lord because look what we've been delivered from. He was just a good guy who's loved God all his, all his life. That's the best testimony of all, Charles. That's the best testimony of all. When you believed, God did the work. That's what your 1984 NIV has told you. She read it all the way through. That's what Ephesians tells you. Um, uh, it's very important you understand. Don't. It's not an experience. It's not a goosebump. It's not, I can remember the moment. Some of us, it is, as I said, stark, drastic. But for others, it's just a gradual thing. I'm praying for a, a, a dear friend of mine. His name is Rich. And, um, you know, he wasn't saved a year ago. And we've been praying for him and sharing with him. He's visited the church. Paul and I talk about him and pray for him all the time. And, you know, we've just sort of watched a gradual moving to the Lord. And um, when I pray for him now, I don't pray that he would get saved because I think he is. When I pray that he would understand the fullness that God has for him. And, and so it, it's just different for everybody. Charles, you described precisely what it means to be born again. Transformed by the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. Repenting. Asking for forgiveness. So enjoy your experience. Not an I'm saved experience, but instead the experience every day that you can have with Christ because you are saved. Charles, no worries, no guilt. Uh, don't let the enemy have an opening because he is relentless and he will never, ever, ever stop. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate uh, the question and your heart. Um, we're grateful for you, Charles. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app from Lori. And she, sees, or she says, there seems to be a movement this week called Week of Repentance where Christians connect via the Internet to watch live streaming broadcasts. Direction is praying for our nations. They're using Second Chronicles 7.14 as the basis for this event. I find this upsetting. Why would Christian leaders focus on repentance being an occasional thing rather than a daily one if we have the Holy Spirit in us as born-again believers? Why do some leaders think and espouse that God only listens to us if we'd only come together to pray or repent? The Second Chronicles passage is an Old Testament teaching that applied only to Israel and is only an example of um, to us Christians today, not a mandate. Uh, please share your thoughts and feelings. Thank you, Lori. Lori, let me let me begin by saying this is a my, my answer is going to be sort of mixed on this one. Um, there's nothing wrong ever with repentance. Nothing wrong ever 
with repentance. Um, Daniel, uh, Isaiah, uh, arguably two of the most godly men in all of our Bibles. Uh, When they prayed for a nation that was falling away, they asked for forgiveness. And it was the others who were sinning. It was the others who were sinning, the, the others who were being uh, provoking the, the, the anger of God because of their, their sin against God. Um, and yet they identified with the people who were guilty of sin. They knew they weren't perfect. They knew they had sin as well. But at the same time, um, they identified there's never anything wrong with repentance. So I can't say that this is a bad move. Now, I do think because of the Chronicles 714, you know, every National Day of Prayer, this is the the verse that's used, uh, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will heal their land. Uh, that's the verse that's used every National Day of Prayer. It's used incorrectly. It's used out of context. It is a, a, a verse that was in context. You can never separate a verse from its context. If you do, you end up being able to make the Bible say anything that you want to. And so I don't like that idea. It shows um, bad exegesis of Scripture. Um, it, it, it demonstrates a lack of understanding. Again, at the same time, while the verse usage is incorrect, um, the intent, I think, is something that God will honor. Now, here's why I find it a little bit upsetting. It's always bothered me, Lori, and I've been saved for 26 years. So from the beginning, it's always bothered me that Christians will get together with other Christians in some event thing. And they'll participate and expect a result. When they won't every day walk with Jesus, when they won't every day bring their own sins before God. Paul says, examine your hearts daily, continually. To see if you're in the faith. And we need to repent anytime there's anything between us and God in terms of sin. Uh, anytime there's there's uh, harshness, unkindness, a lack of love that, that we're demonstrating, we need to be men and women who are quick to repent. Why is it easier? Why does it seem more meaningful when a, a, a group of people get together via the Internet? I mean, really, what sacrifice is being made when you're on the Internet? How about Christians humbling themselves as individuals instead of joining some bandwagon simply saying, Lord, my heart's not been right before you. Lord, uh, this week of repentance is is about racial reconciliation. It's about all of the things that seem to be going on in our nation. Our nation is broken. We know that. But the answer starts with each of us as individuals. I can't fix you, Lori, and Lori, you can't fix me. But what I can do is I can go before the Lord and repent and say, my heart needs to be made right. My heart needs to be a representation of Jesus' heart. If we don't understand that, then it's just too easy to join. Again, I want to get on this one subject that bugs me to death. Christians will join a movement when they're not walking with God with repentant or pure hearts individually. A lot of these people who are going to be on these social media platforms are people who are in part responsible for some of the difficulties that we're having. It's hard to understand. Maybe it's just taking the easy way out. You know, I can join a whole bunch of other people and it lessens my individual responsibility. Laura, I don't really know other than Um, Christians not just leaders but Christians individually need to get their hearts before God every single day so that our fellowship with God isn't broken I don't want to call for a nation to repent for a week I want to call for a revival of God's spirit I don't want to call for people I don't know to repent that would be almost judgmental what I want to do is, is is ask the individual Christians as they examine their hearts to get right and stay right with God. So those are very important 
personal decisions that we have to make. And I just think it's been way too easy to join somebody else's bandwagon or get on the new cool hip thing. And that's what this seems to be to me. Again, they're, they're, I'm sure their, their hearts are right, those who are calling for this reconciliation. But you see, judgment begins at the house of God. And your body, Lori, my body, that's the house of God that we need to be judged every single day. Again, I don't think it's a bad thing, so I want to be sure. It's like the National Day of Prayer, um, uh, the fact that they misuse um, Scripture and, and, and try to make people feel guilty for not joining into their public prayer. Uh, I, I think it's offensive to have a bunch of people who don't pray regularly on their own to go to an event once and once a year and, and, and sort of act like everything's going to be okay. I think those are really important things. I know we live in a culture that, that likes to belong, but um, I, I just think it's much more important that we understand um, our responsibility before God is to be walking in holiness every single day. Lord, I hope that helps a little bit. I know it didn't make a lot of sense, but it's always the case with something that's um, the heart is right, the intent is right. I think the method is wrong. Let's go to Mark calling from San Antonio on line one. Mark, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a question for you. I know you've been asked a million times about this, but I haven't heard this specific thing being asked, and it's become a pretty big issue in my family with tithing. Um, I understand that tithing was started in Malachi, or at least referenced in Malachi 3.10, and that's part of the Old Covenant, you know, the, the law for the Jews of Israel. But my issue is the Ten Commandments are also part of that Old Covenant. And we try to live up to, to that law, and we repent from the sin of breaking that law when we do. So why wouldn't we give Malachi 3.10 the same weight that we do the Ten Commandments and try to live up to that in the same way? Oh. Great, great question, Mark. I think I've got a good answer for you. You know, uh, of the, the Ten Commandments, nine of them are repeated in the New Testament uh, under the New Covenant for Christians. So I, I, I don't think there's a parallel between the two. The Old Covenant, Jesus said uh, in the upper room with his disciples, we call it the Last Supper. This is the cup of the New Covenant. And in doing that, he canceled the Old Covenant, the covenant of law. It, ideally, or additionally rather, in the New Testament, uh, except in the Gospels, we, we have to remember that Jesus' ministry was, was entirely Jewish. He was under the law. He was fulfilling the law in our place so that he could cancel the code that was against us. That's, that's the old covenant. It, it was, it was a, a covenant that was against us. It, it only produced guilt, and guilt, of course, produced death. That's why we needed a new covenant. It didn't accomplish what God wanted it to accomplish, and that's have fellowship with mankind. So apart from Jesus saying to the religious leaders, you tithe and it's right that you do so. Remember, he was talking to people under the law. There's no mention of tithing at all in the New Testament. There's no mention uh, of any sort of compulsory or obligatory giving at all in the New Testament. And when we have the book of Acts and we've got the epistles of, of uh, the, the, the writers of our Bible, uh, if it was something that was required, then it would be done. The two sacraments are, are baptism and communion that we're to carry over. But, but beyond that, the old covenant has been completely satisfied for us. Now, here's what we don't understand. And Mark, as somebody who, who looks at the Malachi portion of Scripture, and by the way, um, we always hear that taken out of context when we hear, if you don't tithe, you're stealing from God. No, they were building their own homes. They were taking care of themselves and neglecting the house of God. Remember, the house of God housed the Levites. That's how the Levites were, were able to survive. That's how the Levites ate. That's how the Levites provided for their families um, for, for the ministry uh, in exchange for their ministry as the representatives of God to the nation of Israel. So what we understand is that now we who are recipients of grace, 
we're accountable to give God much, much more. It's not like grace makes it easy because there's no compulsory 10%. So, hey, I'm free. I don't have to give. And I'm ashamed to say this, Mark. Uh, We have people come to our church here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. We have people who come here and they brag that the reason they come is because, well, Pastor Ron never asks for money. Pastor Ron never passes an offering plate. Uh, And that's that's a shameful response. Those of us who are beneficiaries of grace ought to give abundantly more than what was required under the law. And I think tithing is taught from two perspectives, from the from the from the, the members perspective. It's just in sort of an easy, uh, fairly cheap way of getting by. Yeah, I'll give 10%, but there's no reward for it because they're giving under compulsion. They're giving because they'd feel bad if they didn't. On the other hand, it's taught by the churches because the churches, if if I as a pastor can obligate my people to give 10% of their income and they have to sign a membership statement saying, well, I make this much, here's 10%, here's my pledge for the year, then it makes it easy to budget. I don't have to really trust God and step out in faith because I can trust the people and what they've promised to give. And I think we end up losing any rewards for that kind of giving. So the New Testament, under grace, we owe God everything that we have. And I think under the, the old covenant, you know, it's like uh, 90% of my stuff is mine, 10% of it I'll give to God, it belongs to Him. Um, in, in the new covenant, as recipients of grace, everything we have, time, talent, treasure, our bodies belong to Christ. And it's just cheaper and easier. It sort of relieves us of guilt if we just give 10%. And it's been my contention all along that God would really honor a church and a believer who gives just because they realize that that we owe God. You know, Jesus told a lot of parables about good stewardship. For you and for me, Mark, to be a, a good steward, then we have to realize that everything we have belongs to God. And it forces us in our time of prayer, in our time of reading the Bible... Uh, in the time of looking at other people with needs, it, it it sort of forces us to say, "Well, Lord, what do you want? To, what do you want me to do with the money you've entrusted to me?" And I think if we would be faithful enough to ask the question, God would bless abundantly. Because that's the principle: you reap what you sow. If you sow stingily or sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow abundantly. You reap. Now, that's not a a give-to-get promise. That's just the nature and the character of God. And I think a lot of churches and a lot of Christians, Mark, are giving 10% and wondering why God's not blessing them, and yet they feel like they're fine, and they're going to get to heaven and find out there's no reward for money that was given uh, reluctantly or given under compulsion. Um, Romans 12.1 makes it pretty clear. Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, I urge you, the King James says, I beseech you, to offer your bodies, your whole being, as living sacrifices to God. It is your acceptable or reasonable act of worship. And I think, Mark, that's what we need to do. So I hope that answers your question, Mark. Did we lose Mark? Okay. Old Covenant Mark is completely done for us. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from, let me get this one. Uh, Here's a question. You know, one of the things that we were going to do at the men's retreat was to have uh, the live program have men's questions. So they submitted questions and um, um, we were going to have those aired. So I've got some questions from the men's uh, retreat. One of the questions was, my mom has become legalistic. How can I help her? She went from the Worldwide Church of God to Calvary to Seventh-day Adventist. Now she's involved with an extremely legalistic, apolytic website. My dad is the opposite. They argue uh, apocalyptic website. My dad is the opposite. They argue over this. How do I help them? Um, the, the answer to this question is that legalism always produces an argument. Legalism is from the pit of hell. And we know that Worldwide Church of God uh, was a cult. It probably still is. 
the Seventh-day Adventists, uh, a large portion, uh, perhaps even the largest portion of the, of the SDA is, is, is occultic. Um, some are not, and I want to be very clear about that. Um, but with their Sabbath worship and being legalistic and following rules, they have the same sort of characteristic. And legalism, um, as strange as it's going to sound, legalism appeals to people because it gives them sort of a, a list that they can check off things. If I'm doing this, God's happy. If I'm doing this, God's happy. If I don't do this, God's going to be mad. And they don't understand the grace of God, and they're unable to 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 receive the love of God. And the only way that they can relate to people is on the basis of deeds, works, what they can do. If your dad is the opposite, pray for him, pray for them. But I don't think you can really help them. This has got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, share your Jesus with them. Share how much you love them. And, and you don't want to see them get ripped off. Um, take them through the book of Romans or challenge them to read the book of Romans together. I think that would help. Appreciate the question. You can hear the music. We're at the end of the first half hour of the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 340-9585. You're listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program. It's Monday. It feels like a Monday. You know, one of the things about the, the men's retreat, as great as it was, um, it's just constant from the time you get up in the morning until you go to bed at night. Um, uh, not as bad for me as for some, only because they were eating like 15 briskets or something at 11 o'clock on, on Friday night. But um, um, my voice, as you can tell, is a little bit um, trying to recover here. So I appreciate your patience with this. Here's a, an anonymous question that was just called into the studio. Um, can you speak on how to receive forgiveness from, for fornication and having an abortion? Uh, Anonymous, this is really important, so please listen carefully. We humans, I know this sounds strange, but we like guilt. We like guilt. If I can feel bad enough for something long enough, then maybe, maybe that means I'm really forgiven. But that's exactly the opposite. If you are a believer, a born-again Christian in Jesus Christ... A sin of fornication, a sin of having an abortion, was forgiven the moment you asked Jesus into your heart. Now, even if you were guilty of fornication and you had the abortion as a believer, if you're repentant, if you're sorry, and your question screams that you're sorry for it, you're forgiven. You need to know very, very, very clearly that your sins, all of them, from the the ones that you consider the smallest sins to the, the big ones that you just mentioned in your question, all of those sins are as far from you as east is from west. So if you're born again, what does that mean? It means to repent of your sins, ask Jesus into your heart, You do that because you believe that He is the Son of God and God the Son. They killed Him. He didn't stay dead. That proves without any question that He alone has the authority to offer forgiveness. And you simply become His child. That's what being born again means. And He paid the price for the sins, the big ones and the little ones and all the sins in between. And all you have to do is receive them by faith. Now, There's an enemy out there who's going to pound you. God can't forgive that sin. God forgives others, but that sin's too much. And we deal with this quite often with women who have had abortions. Um, But Jesus' death paid the price for that sin. And all you have to do is decide once and for all that you're going to accept the work that he's done. God can't lie. 
And if you hold on to guilt, if you hold on to feeling like you're not forgiven because those are big sins, now there's consequences to sin. And abortion, it changes people. Fornication, sexual sin gives the enemy a deeper inroad to destroy us. That's what he's always trying to do. But you've got to remember that God's death took care of those sins for you. And if you'll simply believe it, then you walk in the forgiveness. And whenever you feel guilt coming on, Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know that the, the, the guilt and the condemnation has a source from hell. And you simply have to reject it. You have to decide, I'm forgiven. I'm going to live like I'm forgiven. I'm going to let the joy of the Lord restore my heart. Let me give you a, 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 a homework assignment, a brief one, Anonymous. Um, as soon as I'm done here, uh, open your Bible to Psalm 51 and let David share his heart with you over his grievous sins, fornication and murder of Bathsheba's husband. He says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew within me a right heart. And you see, that happens by faith. It doesn't matter how you feel, but please, please, please stop doing guilt. Now, if you're not a born-again Christian, all you have to do is ask him to be. Let him take those sins. You see, that's why Jesus came. You're listening to this program, so my assumption is that you're a Christian. A born-again believer, that's important. Jesus says, except a man, in this case a woman, is born again, he or she will in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're born again, lay those sins at the foot of the cross. Because he already paid the price. And he wants you to walk in freedom. Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom we have been set free. So if you're not a Christian, become one today. If you need to talk to somebody about this, I don't know where you live. First, My, my first um, counsel would be to go to your church, talk to your pastor. If you don't have a church or a pastor, you should have one. That might be one of the reasons you're walking in guilt. Uh, we'll help you. We've got many women in our church who have had abortions, who are enjoying their freedom in Christ. So please, don't let the devil pound you. Not for one more minute. Psalm 51. Let the Lord wrap his arms around you and tell you how precious you are to him. Let him tell you you're beautiful. How beautiful you are, my darling. There's no flaw in you. And when you're burdened with the kind of guilt that you're implying here with this question, beauty is the last thing you see. Jesus wants to look at you and tell you that you're perfect for him because he paid the price for your sin. If you'll believe what I'm telling you, this will spark a revival in your heart. I can promise you that, Anonymous. I'll be praying for you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You know, we've been in the book of Romans now for some time. And um, I just think guilt paralyzes our walk with the Lord. Just as surely as a physical accident can paralyze a human body, being bound by guilt paralyzes us in growing in the person of Jesus Christ. Here's a question from our email inbox from Anonymous. Our guest speaker on Sunday, by the way, we had Tim Burns from Tyler, Texas, was our guest speaker. He was the speaker at the... Um, um, conference, and we always let uh, the men's conference speaker have the pulpit on Sunday when he comes back. Um, I got to sit in church with Paula all three services yesterday. 
Um, our guest speaker was phenomenal. He was joy to listen to. But he described the Holy Spirit at the scene of Jesus' baptism as descending in the form of a dove, as in he became a dove. Scripture's wording is like a dove, and you've often said that the Holy Spirit didn't become a dove, but the manner of descent upon Jesus resembled a dove. Is this just a matter of different interpretations? No, it's really not. You know, uh, some translations, most notably the Living Bible, actually uses the word in the form of a dove. But that doesn't mean that, that he had the substance of a dove. Uh, like a dove or as a dove, most of the translations um, uh, translate it. Um, simply means that he would have appeared. God wanted this pronouncement to be something people witnessed. And so they would have looked up and they would have described a dove coming down and landing on Jesus. But it wasn't a dove. It was the Holy Spirit who took a form so that th- th- there would be a witness so that people could say, I experienced this thing. And that was when the voice said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So he, it wasn't a dove. The Spirit didn't become a dove, but that was the appearance he took on. He was like or as, or if you tried to describe somebody, you could say, well, it was sort of the form of a dove. So there, there was nothing, I remember very clearly what he said, and there was nothing that would be uh, any different from anything that I've taught. This is a pretty uh, widely accepted um, uh, piece of doctrinal information. Uh, there's There's almost no... Uh, disagreement on this. In fact, I've never read any disagreement on this. But it's not that he, when you said as in he became a dove, he didn't become a dove. He looked like a dove. They would say, I saw the form of a dove, but it wasn't a dove. And and, uh, the writers of the Gospels go out of their way to make sure that we understand that it was the Holy Spirit and not a dove. It is, by the way, we have behind our pulpit a dove descending and that's why we want the Holy Spirit to empower everything that we do here uh, at our church. So I hope that answers your question. Hey, you know, I forgot to say something at the introduction. Uh, I'll try to remember this every day this week. Uh, but we have a churchwide baptism coming up this Sunday uh, at uh, right around 3.30-ish. It's usually how long it takes us to get out there from the time we leave third service and get a quick bite to eat to, to sustain us till we go out and eat. At the, at the baptism, uh, but but because of my, my heart surgery, we had to postpone our summer baptism to October 1st. It'll, the weather will be nicer, the water will be a little cooler, um, but we'd love to invite you. If you're a born-again Christian and you haven't been baptized, you should. We'd love to have you join us. You can call the church office at 658-8337 and uh, um, get directions to uh, the baptism site. Um, there'll be plenty, plenty, plenty of food, believe me. Uh, normally in the summertime, we get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people out there. I don't know. And it's a joy um, when when believers uh, from the radio audience come and say, you know, I was listening and I got convicted. I need to be baptized. I haven't been baptized uh, as an adult of my own free will. Uh, so I love to, 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 to get to meet people and have the honor and the privilege of putting them in the water. So that's coming up this coming Sunday, 3.30-ish. We'll, we'll eat first, then we'll go into the water. Uh, and it won't be a super long afternoon. We'll all be there and tired, but uh, it's always a great, great time. So um, call the church office and get some directions. I'll be mentioning it for the rest of the week as well. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from the Men's Retreat. Uh, why doesn't the Old Testament tell us to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, it does. It tells us in Leviticus nineteen eighteen to do it, and that's what was Jesus was referring to. What, what is the, the 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 most important laws to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and the second is like unto it to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, literally, this is love your neighbor before yourself. That's what we who are Christians are called to do, not to to love ourselves and then we can learn how to love our neighbors. That's silliness. We love ourselves already, but it is to, 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 to be your neighbor's keeper, to put their needs ahead of your own. Why should we do that? Well, because Jesus did that for us, and we know that he's got our needs in his hand. 
So we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the summary that Jesus was talking about when the the, the, the scribe came and asked him, um, you know, what's the most important law? Uh, Jesus said, basically, this sums up the whole law. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That was sort of a uh, a New Testament Jesus interpretation of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. So I hope that helps. Here is a another question from the men's retreat. Uh, Pastor Ron, why did Jesus have to rise on the third day? Why not the first or second? Why didn't he rise on the Sabbath? Well, the answer to that question is because that was what was prophesied. If Jesus would have risen on the first day or the second day, um, uh, which would have been uh, the, the Jewish Sabbath, it, he wouldn't have been Jesus. He wouldn't have fulfilled prophecy. And the whole picture would have been thrown askew. You see, just as Jonah, this is Jesus, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That, by the way, doesn't mean three 24-hour periods of time. It means uh, it's a Jewish way of saying uh, part of a day is a day. So what they're saying is three days, the way we would typically understand it. Um, so too will the Son of Man be in the, in the earth for three days, and then he will rise to life. So it was always prophesied that Jesus would rise on the third day. And if he hadn't risen on the third day, then he would have proven himself not to be God. You know, Jesus was on a timetable. One of the things that I love about our Bible as you go through the Gospel accounts is, is you can see Jesus' time schedule. Uh, it sort of began. Now, we know that there was a time schedule uh, from from eternity past, but Jesus didn't know that. You know, at the wedding in Cana, the, 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 the occasion of Jesus' very first public miracle um, he turned the water into wine, but when his mother came to him, he said, why are you troubling me with this woman? My my hour has not yet come. In other words, he was waiting for the Lord to say, go, get started. And right after he said that to his mother, evidently, that's precisely what the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, now is the time, and he performed the miracle. Well, he had an appointment daily. I must needs go through Samaria. John chapter five, 4 says, so he can meet the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. So we see all of these appointments, and they were all pointing to that one moment, we call it Passion Week, that one moment where he would lay down his life for the sins of the world. The first day of Passion Week was what we call the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday. And, and the, the schedule was so precise it would have been April 6, 32 A.D., according to the widely accepted scholarship of Sir Robert Anderson. 173,880 days exactly from the issuing of the decree to rebuild and restore the temple. That's from Nehemiah. This is according to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. Had Jesus come one day earlier or one day later, he wouldn't have fulfilled prophecy. That would have meant he isn't God. Now, for you and for me, we'd say, what's one day? But for God, it has to be perfect. So he was on a tight time schedule all the way up to his resurrection from the dead. So that's why he didn't rise on any other day. I hope that answers the question. Here is a question... Um, how do I deal with a headstrong wife? I want this question. This is from the men's retreat as well. I haven't been a good leader before, but now when I'm trying to lead, she doesn't want to follow. Well, the reason that she doesn't want to follow, and I want every husband in this audience to hear this, the reason she doesn't want to follow is because you haven't been a good leader before. I, you know, men never cease to amaze me. We, we go, we have an experience with God. I want to do what's right, so now I'm going to do what's right. Woman, follow me. And she's reluctant. It's because she doesn't trust you. Because she's watched you break so many promises before. So here's what you do. This is how you deal with a strong wife. You love her the way Christ loved the church. You go to her and say, you know what? I don't blame you for not following me. Because I haven't been followable. I made up a word. But watch me. Because I'm going to follow Jesus. And when you're convinced that I'm really following Jesus, then I know he's going to bring you to the point where you will follow my leadership. 
We have no right to demand anything from our wives that we've disappointed over and over and over. For most women, wives submit to your husbands is the most terrifying verse in Scripture. And the reason it is is because they've watched you. They know you. One of the things that we deal with at the men's retreat every year is these men, they repent. We had a great time of repentance, people getting saved, people getting baptized. Uh, our Afterglow Friday night is always special because it's men getting real. God, forgive me for this or forgive me for that. And, and it deals with some really, really raw things. But I tell the men that they're going to go home to people who aren't going to trust your experience here at the camp, the retreat. So you go home and resolve to show them. You can tell them, but resolve to show them that you're a new person in Christ. We had one man at the Afterglow who's been around off and on for a few years now. Had some PTSD issues from his time in the Middle East. Uh, he's had a really hard go of it. One day he's up, next day he's down. And his wife has been dragged through this mess for all these years. And he was even entertaining suicidal thoughts. And he met Jesus this weekend and here's what I told him praise the Lord now go home and show your wife don't tell her don't just talk again you go home and show her and yesterday at church this woman who's usually not too demonstrative she's very shy wonderful beautiful lady but she's she's not demonstrative she's because she's so shy but she came up to me in the front row and she threw her arms around me. I'm sitting down and she kind of gets me and she said, Pastor Ron, my husband met Jesus. A new man came home. It's true. It happened. He is a new man. I've seen it. And you should have seen the joy in her heart. Now that's not a headstrong wife. That's a fearful wife. But if this man continues to walk with Jesus, that was our retreat theme, just be with Jesus. If she continues, or if he continues to walk with Jesus, believe me, this will be a, a wife who is delighted, delighted to follow her husband. I'll give you one more example and we'll go to, I think, we have a, oh, I thought we had a caller, but it's just five minutes. Let me give you one more example of this. We had a, uh, lady, you know, when you have a new pastor or guest speaker in the church, um, things don't always go the same in terms of routine. You know, uh, our people are used to me giving an invitation, asking people to come forward every week. And um, bless her heart, when he didn't do that, he just said, people, if you want to receive Christ, raise your hands. Everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. Um, she was waiting for that invitation. So, so she brought her husband who has really gone through some difficult times. This marriage has really gone through some difficult things. She brought her husband to me during the last song of worship. She said, nobody asked to come up and get saved. He wants to get saved. And after everything they've been going through, I mean, really, really difficult stuff. You should have seen the look on her face as I prayed for him to receive Christ. As he repeated the prayer, she had her arm around him, tears streaming down both of their faces. If he'll walk with Jesus, she'll have no problem following him. I promise you. I promise you. Let's go to Jose on line one. Jose, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Uh, I love your show. Long time listener, second time calling. Oh, thank My you. My question is on, on, on the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate? And who's the leopard or the leper, if it's okay? Uh, uh, tell me the chapter, Jose. The leopard or leper? I'm not sure. I'm not understanding you correctly. Okay. The leopard. Uh, seven heads and ten horns. Okay. Um, 
you know what, Jose, what I'm going to ask you to do, because we're inside two minutes now, and, uh, you know, that's the, uh, the, 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 the beast, and what, what I'll do, um, uh, I'll answer that question at the beginning of tomorrow's program, because it's going to take a whole lot longer than the, the minute and a half that we've got left. But if you'll tune in tomorrow uh, at the top of the program, I'll answer it. The, the answer is great, but it's, it's an identification of... Uh, this man, the Antichrist from Revelation chapter 13, uh, verse 2. So uh, I'll do that. I just don't have time to do it now. And it's too important just to gloss over, Jose. So uh, first thing tomorrow, that's what I'll do. The very first question as we open the program. Thank you for listening, Jose. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's see where we, if I got a one minute question here. Uh, from the Men's Retreat again, how can Paul be the author of Hebrews? If Hebrews 2.3 says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? It sounds like someone else wrote Hebrews besides Paul. No, not really at all. Now, I, again, uh, there is debate about, about who is the author of Hebrews. I've read it so many times. I'm convinced the heart and the doctrine is Pauline. Um, but, but this isn't something that that uh, we can be dogmatic about. Um, but all he's doing there in verse chapter 2, verse 3, is he's including himself with the us. Um, um, yeah, Paul heard him, Paul saw him, um, but he's, he's in chapter 2, that's the first warning in the book, and what he's doing is simply telling them um, to, to, to have ears to hear. So it's not confirmed to us by those who heard them like their separate groups, but confirmed to us, the body at large, that was being written to. Hey, thanks for your questions, Dave. Thanks for your calls, Jose. Please don't forget that tomorrow, right at the beginning of the program, we'll do the Revelation 13 verse. Thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to the Word of Santa for, li- uh, for Life. I'll be back tomorrow. Lord willing, see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.